0: Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia Lapatina, and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Cuban Dependent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And this time, we're talking about NATO, why Ukraine aspires to join the alliance at all costs, and also why, despite years of discussions, a session still hasn't happened. I'm joined by the Korean Independent Senior Editor, Alexei Sorokyan, who is joining us virtually from Europe. Alexi, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, undoubtedly, the main event of the week for Ukraine is the NATO Summit in Vilnius, which was held on July 11th and 12th. Ukraine's delegation, including President Zelensky, was there, of course. But before we get into the specifics and the consequences of the summit, I want to just really quickly go over some basics uh, in case your audience isn't familiar uh, with NATO. so what exactly is the NATO alliance, and what is its main purpose? Uh,
1: the North Atlantic uh, Treaty Organization, as it's called officially, uh, was created uh, as a result of a direct uh, Soviet threat After the Second World War, uh, countries from Western Europe and North uh, America were threatened uh, by the growing Uh, power uh, of the Soviet Union, Uh, we know that the Soviet Union uh, directly occupied the Baltic States and was uh, controlling countries in Eastern Europe, uh, such as Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and so on. And so um, Western countries needed protection. And that's what happened in uh, 1949, when uh, 12 countries decided to unite in a defensive pact. Uh, and create this alliance which resulted uh, in a union that they said if one of these countries is attacked by the Soviet Union or any other country, uh, then all of them are attacked. The so-called Article 5 of NATO. Um, and soon this alliance beca- became really uh, attractive to, to countries that were not initially part of it. So we saw an influx of new countries uh, from 1952, more and more countries joined. So first we saw joining uh, Greece, Turkey, then uh, countries like Spain mm-hmm. joined. And so soon uh, was seen as a extensive enlargement of this alliance and Uh, by 1999 and 2004, uh, we saw, uh, countries that were even part of the Warsaw Pact and then part of the Soviet Union joined the alliance. So we saw countries like, uh, Poland, like the Baltic states join NATO. And, and obviously for everyone, it was crucial to join this alliance to have protection from primarily Russia as a direct a uh, direct threat to to many, many countries.
0: Mm-hmm. So now back to the summit itself, uh, there was a lot of anticipation in Ukraine uh, for this event. So what exactly was Ukraine expecting to get from this annual NATO summit and what did the country actually end up getting?
1: Well, obviously, uh, Ukraine didn't anticipate to join the alliance uh, And it was directly said by many countries that um, Ukraine won't receive an invitation, right? Uh, But Ukraine expected some concrete guarantees that the country will join later. Uh, We we knew that uh, Ukraine was pressing the West to receive uh, some kind of assurances that as soon as the war ends, Ukraine will be part of the alliance. Uh, And unfortunately for Ukraine, uh, Ukraine didn't receive these kind of assurances.
0: And what about the aid? Were there any more pledges of uh, more supplies of Western aid that Ukraine needs for the counteroffensive that's ongoing?
1: Well, obviously, Ukraine needs more aid. Ukraine always asks for air defense, artillery, long range missiles, tanks, uh, and and recently fighter jets. If we're talking about more pledges, then yes, uh, France, for example, uh, pledged more long range missiles. uh, Several months back, the United Kingdom uh, provided Ukraine with storm shadow. Uh, long-range missiles and now basically France did the same thing Um, they pledged the scalp missiles which is an equivalent of storm shadow Um, and more countries pledged more aid uh, and we even have um, pledges now from some countries that uh, Ukraine pilots will be trained on F-16s which is crucial for, Mm -hmm. for Ukraine we still don't have a pledge of the actual jets, but uh, we see that countries are ready to train pilots, and I'm pretty sure that eventually we'll get uh, these planes. Uh, we also saw that Biden was open to continued discussion of providing an American uh, long range missiles, the Atacams missiles. Um, I'm also sure that we will receive them sometime in the future, and that's a direct result of Ukrainian push for uh, more and more weapons uh, requests, I would say.
0: There was a very dramatic moment, I'd say, um, on the first day of the summit when President Zelensky essentially published this very angry statement saying that he was disappointed with how the summit was going on, that, um, you know, he expected more uh, help and more focus on Ukraine and and more speedy uh, discussions and decisions on Ukraine's accession. Um, Is that still the mood? uh, And is that still the reaction of the Ukrainian government? Or how are they reacting to the overall consequences of the summit?
1: I'm I'm pretty sure that's still the mood. Ukraine is deeply uh, dissatisfied with what happened. Uh, Obviously, um, uh, Zelensky and the government toned down their criticism. They they can't go and criticize uh, everyone all the time, right? Even though I'm pretty sure that Ukraine is deeply dissatisfied with what happened in Vilnius. Um, but yes, uh, the the overall perception of what happened is that uh, NATO ducked, NATO didn't provide the the actual guarantees that mm-hmm. uh, we all wanted, but that's that's diplomacy that's uh, that's what that's what happens and and ukraine obviously needs to continue its work and continue to press the west to receive uh more and more weapons at first and then guarantees that the accession process will start as soon as the war is over and so on um we we know that after after the uh the main the main event uh the g7 countries uh did provide uh, guarantees that they will support Ukraine as long as uh, is needed. They will, uh, have a bilateral agreements, uh, with Ukraine in terms of, uh, future defense agreements and future, uh, military support. But obviously it's something that, um, Ukraine wanted more. Ukraine always wants more. Ukraine needs more and Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't receive it. Mm -hmm. And so the government is obviously dissatisfied with the overall picture.
0: You just mentioned that Ukraine always wants more and uh, it needs more. And also Ukraine is hoping to join NATO as soon as possible. Um, But why does Ukraine actually want to be a part of NATO so badly? Because we know that according to polls, almost 90% of Ukrainians want their country to be a part of this alliance. And moreover, Ukraine's NATO-oriented course is even uh, enshrined in literally our constitution. So it's a really big deal here, but why? Why exactly? Why can't we just, I don't know, be a country with a strong military without alliances?
1: Well, obviously, Ukraine needs assurances that it won't be attacked. And if Ukraine would receive those assurances prior, uh, I'm pretty sure that there wouldn't be Uh, a war in Europe currently. And back in 2008, Ukraine uh, and Georgia were basically uh, brushed off uh, and not let into the North Atlantic uh, Alliance. Uh, They were said that the door is always open. But after that, uh, we knew that both Ukraine and Georgia would not be let in uh, and the accession talks would not be started anytime uh, soon. And what happened next is that the same year, uh, Georgia was attacked by Russia. Uh, Georgia now has around 20% of its territory occupied by Russia. And soon Ukraine was also attacked by Russia. Uh, Crimea was occupied uh, and the war in Eastern Ukraine begun. And Unfortunately, that's a direct result that Ukraine didn't have official allies. Because again, as I mentioned prior, one of the most important points of actually NATO is that the, the fifth article says that if one country is attacked, all of the countries attacked, meaning that the whole alliance must enter war. Uh, and this, I know many people in the West sometimes question this and, but this is the most important part is that nobody is going to attack, uh, now 32 countries all at once That's impossible. There's no military in Mm -hmm. the world, Russian, Chinese, any military that can attack Mm -hmm. and successfully Mm -hmm. wage a war against 32 countries. And being part of this alliance, you understand that you will never have to fight a war. But if something happens and suddenly you're on the defensive and you have to fight a war, you have the backing of so many countries, so many militaries, and and that's what's crucial here. And if we see uh, Ukraine's desire to join the alliance, then back in 2008, when it first asked to join and it was brushed off, there was around 20, 30, depending on the polls, 30, 35% of the population that want to join. And then Russia was attacked and then Ukraine was attacked. And obviously more and more people understood that joining the Alliance is the only way to prevent uh, war. And so in 2014, the support for NATO skyrocketed. And then in 2022, It just, again, skyrocketed. And we see that the majority of the population now wants Ukraine to be part of NATO. So
0: in 2014, Ukraine uh, definitely decided that one of its main goals in its foreign policy is uh, this NATO accession. And uh, we began talks and discussions with NATO officials. And uh, I want to ask you. How did that process go? Uh, Because Ukraine reached out to to NATO essentially uh, six years later, asking for the same thing. And uh, were we shown the door again? Uh, What was the situation there with those discussions?
1: The problem is is that Ukraine is always told that it's welcomed in NATO, and then it's not. And and, and that's kind of the, the, the main problem with diplomacy is that Ukraine never received a direct answer. Right. And so in 2008, and uh, it was practically said that no, Ukraine won't join NATO anytime soon, uh, by France and Germany, practically, uh, uh, frankly, they, they were against harming, uh, relationships with, with Russia, right. Uh, Merkel and Sarkozy, uh, were looking at Russia and understanding that their relationship with Russia can take a turn. And they didn't want to risk it. In 2014, the same thing happened is that Ukraine was attacked and countries in the West wanted to keep the doors for talking to Russia open they didn't want to, uh, if we see the, the sanctions and th- that happened there, they weren't enough to prevent anything. And still, Western leaders were willing to, to take a chance at diplomacy, to take a chance at uh, negotiations, and so on. And in 2022, it was, it was too late. Uh, we, we, we understand that nobody's going to accept a country at war into that line. We understand that until the war is over, there's not going to be any accession talk. And now, 15 years later, after Bucharest, uh, Ukraine, again, doesn't receive a direct invitation. We understand that during war, Ukraine isn't going to become a member, right? We, we understand that nobody's going to invite Ukraine during an active war because that will trigger the Article 5 uh, and and nobody wants to, to fight in this war, uh, but what Ukraine wanted is a clear understanding and a clear notion that after the war is over, Ukraine will become a member. And unfortunately, it didn't receive that in
0: the So clearly for years, Ukraine hasn't been let in and hasn't really been invited directly either. But what were the stated reasons? I mean, were there any conditions that Ukraine had to meet? Uh, some reforms that were demanded of us, like it usually happens with uh, Western alliances. W- what did what did the West want Ukraine to do to become a member?
1: Obviously, uh, Ukraine is required to implement several reforms. The main difference here between what the European Union wants from Ukraine to begin accession talks is that most. Reforms here are the rule of law and actually reforming the military. This might sound weird for a lot of people uh, because they see that the Ukrainian military is so capable, that the Ukrainian military is strong, that Ukraine has Western weapons, that Ukraine is actually a really, really strong country militarily. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of uh, requirements that need to be done. There has to be The command structure, the uh, different uh, way the Ukrainian uh, operates, a lot of processes militarily and bureaucratically have to be reformed. And that's something that Ukraine is required to do. And also uh, the rule of law and defeating uh, not only Russia on the battlefield, but also defeating corruption, because unfortunately, we saw many, many instances when the Ukrainian military is doing a, a successful job on the battlefield. The uh, Ukrainian military is really strong on the battlefield. But then we see, for example, uh, problems domestically. And uh, we we see the problems with, for example, the the problem in Odessa when a corrupt official basically was enriching, a military official was enriching himself by allegedly taking bribes, right? We, we see a, a big problem that Ukraine has mm-hmm. in the conscription offices, right? We, we know that it's a substantial problem. So there's, there's still many, many problems, um, unfortunately with the Ukrainian armed forces, not on the battlefield, but in the cabinets of some officials, right? In the general staff, in the, uh, conscription offices and, and so on and so on. And so that's, that's something that Ukraine needs to, to fix if it wants to, uh, meet the NATO standards, uh, and eventually transform it's still post-Soviet army in some senses to a big, big, big modern force, right? We, We unfortunately see many corruption cases. Uh, and we, we know that this is going to take time for Ukraine to, to fix.
0: So for years, the Kremlin has used the idea of an aggressive NATO expansion uh, to justify its war against Ukraine. It was also one of the main propaganda points, actually, uh, that Russia used to justify its full scale invasion back in February of 2022. Ukraine and NATO deny this, of course. Uh, So does NATO actually pose a threat to Russia? Is it actually, quote-unquote, aggressively um, extending, expanding eastward?
1: Obviously, NATO doesn't pose a threat to to Russia. Uh, NATO is primarily a defensive alliance. And I think with the slow support of Ukraine and with all the back and forth uh, that Ukraine is receiving from NATO, we can... Uh, safely say that there is absolutely no willingness, uh, of any NATO country to pose any threat to Russia. This, uh, was always used as scarecrow. NATO was always a scarecrow for Russia. We understand that even before the full-scale war, NATO was used as this boogeyman to say that, well, Russia is always endangered. Uh, Russia is a fortress. Russia is surrounded by NATO. But we can See how Russia reacted when uh, Finland and now Sweden is about to join, right? Uh, Russia basically didn't comment on that. It had only few comments, and also, it never uh, said anything about uh, that expansion. So we, we, we understand that this is something that is used by, by the Russian government. <laughs>
0: We're now gonna be answering some questions that we got from our supporters. Uh, the Independent finally launched its very own uh, membership system. So now it's really easy to support us and donate to us directly on our website. You just have to go to qindependent.com slash membership. There is an option for a one-time donation and also an option to subscribe and become a community member for as little as $5 a month. All of our members get really cool perks, like access to exclusive events, uh, discussions with editors and journalists. Uh, You also get access to a Discord channel uh, where we have the entire newsroom and everyone who supports us, our community, and you get to engage and ask us questions. And we try to stay as active as possible there as well. And also you get uh, a chance to submit questions to the podcast before every single episode. And we try to answer them and incorporate them into the episode as much as we can. So now onto the questions. The first question was, uh, people are saying that if Ukraine joins NATO during Russia's war of aggression, NATO will instantly be at war with Russia. Is that true? Would it be that simple?
1: Well, Ukraine won't join uh, NATO during war. Um, that, that's the main uh, issue here. And obviously. Uh, Ukraine understands that by joining during war, it will uh, threaten NATO and and will probably force NATO to join the war as well. So the question of Ukraine joining NATO during a full-scale war is, is not on the table, unfortunately for Ukraine. The Article 5 envisions that if any country is attacked, And Russia constantly, constantly attacks Ukraine, it bombs Ukraine, it's at war with Ukraine. So uh, because of Article 5, if Ukraine would be part of NATO, or if suddenly Ukraine joins NATO, then yes, that envisions that all countries part of NATO are in fact at war with Russia.
0: The second question was, uh, NATO appears to be unclear on Ukraine's membership path. Could this be because some countries, such as Germany and the US, for example, feel that there is a possibility of using it, uh, Ukraine's membership, as a bargaining chip with Russia to stop the war?
1: That's what actually uh, Zelensky said recently that he thinks that uh, with uh, Ukraine not receiving a direct invitation and basically NATO not being clear on Ukraine membership, that it can be part of a bargaining uh, with Russia. Uh, in the future. Um, I think that's a stretch, to be honest. But unfortunately, the Western leaders are doing everything for Ukraine to think that way. The West has constantly uh, been denying Ukraine, not even membership, but a direct answer about membership and a direct path. And by doing so, a lot of people in Ukraine think that a future negotiation can involve... Uh, the question of Ukraine potential membership. And that's unacceptable for the Ukrainian leadership and for the people of Ukraine. So uh, if this happens, this will create a strong, strong rift between Ukraine and the Western capitals.
0: Alexei, thank you so much. It was really interesting to listen to you.
1: Thank you for having me. Also
0: this week, the German arms manufacturer Rheinmetall will open an armored vehicle plant in Ukraine within the next 12 weeks, the company's CEO told CNN in an interview that was published on July 10th. This will allow the manufacturer to build and repair tanks in Ukraine. Turkish company Baikar, which produces Bayraktar drones, began building a drone factory in Ukraine, according to Ukraine's Minister for Strategic Industries, Alexander Komushin. And Ukraine's general staff reported that Ukraine liberated 14 square kilometers of land in the east and in the south of the country as the counteroffensive continues. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, make sure to check out Ukraine's True History, which is our multimedia project at the Kyiv Independent uh, where we publish articles and videos that debunk Russian misinformation and myths that distort Ukrainian history. If you want to support us and donate to us, please go to slash membership and also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.